This Tailgate Society podcast is brought to you by our good friends at Deadeye Premium Barbecue Products. Born in Iowa and made in the heartland, Deadeye is your go-to source for everything barbecue. Sauces, seasonings, you name it. They've made a science out of great grilling flavor. It's more than a sauce. Whether you're cooking sliders, dogs, steak, or chicken, Deadeye has the explosive flavor needed to make every dish delicious. Try a splash of their sweet and smoky original recipe or turn up the heat with their Magnum Edition barbecue sauce. Both flavors are available in seasonings as well as sauces. So pick your favorite and prepare your taste buds for an unforgettable eating experience. Deadeye Premium Barbecue products are available at Fairway, Hy-Vee, Amazon, or at DeadeyeBBQ.com. Hello and welcome to Culture Check Harry Potter, a Tailgate Society podcast. Please check the TailgateSociety.com and subscribe to Tailgate Society podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcast. I'm Arnold Woods and I'm joined by Emily Cornell. Emily, what's going on? Oh, you know, continuing to kick it, um, enjoying the really nice weather. Not going to lie. How are you doing? I'm okay, but I wish that we had some nicer weather up here. It's been pretty cloudy, pretty gloomy. I think I'm suffering from the like seasonal effect disorder or whatever, where it's Mm -hmm. just like your mood is just kind of zoned out when it's gray outside and rainy. And I checked on my weather app today and it's not looking very good for the next week or so. High temperatures, but like pretty pretty rain heavy which isn't great this is a um, weather podcast by the way if you're, <laughs> if you're listening yep we're here to just talk about the various things going on in the u.s across the country with that cold front that came in a couple exactly. of weeks ago exactly pretty dramatic but i'm good yeah it's uh it's another good episode we got coming up it's kind of a carryover from last episode this is our second mailbag episode i'm very excited we have some good questions uh what do you think about the questions we have this week as compared to last week? I think they're a little bit more kind of, these are maybe some of our quirkier questions. Yes. And they're more like there isn't like a straight answer for it. Like I feel some I of the questions from last week, like it could be like, oh, um, you could kind of like pick it apart and like have like a concrete answer. And like this one, maybe because it's like, be creative come up with your own ideas. Um, I was like, oh, like I have to think about this differently than the other ones. So I, I think they're great questions last week's and this week's. So I'm excited to get into them. what did you think of the questions for this week? I agree with you. This is definitely, this is like the creative writing section of the mailbag. I feel like we gotta, got to um, express a little bit more of our personalities through the questions. So I'm excited to Mm-hmm. to get into it. Again, there are spoilers ahead for those of you who have not read the series or seen the movies. We're going to be talking about both the book series and the movies um, using spoilers. So log off right now if you haven't so far, <laughs> if you don't want to be spoiled on anything. Um, should we just get right into the first question? Yeah, let's let's get into it. Do you want to ask the first question? Sure. So our first question this week comes from John Molly, who asks... Using Voldemort logic, which is the significance and the uniqueness of everything, if you had to pick an object to turn into a Horcrux, what would it be and why? Emily, what would you do? So I was thinking about this. I was like, oh, what could, what would be protected from anyone ever touching what I turned into a Horcrux? So initially I thought about the corgis that the Queen of England has, but then I'm like, but corgis die. Um, they're unique because it's kind of like, you know, obviously animals can be horcruxes, but um, then I was like, okay, maybe not a corgi. 
but like her crown, like nobody's going to get close enough to the queen of England to get her crown and destroy it. So I would like to think one, it's significant because, you know, she's the queen of England. People listen to her across the world. It doesn't matter that she makes no political decisions and, um, is really just a drain on the economy, but this isn't an economics podcast. Um, I'm just, I don't understand the taxpayer logic there. Um, so yeah, I'm like, oh, she's protected. It would be protected. I would live forever. Yes. That's a pretty high level horcrux, I feel like. Like you kind of have to move yes. your way in. Have you thought about, so like when um, when a young Tom Riddle was going about working for, um, what was it, Borgen and Burks? Yes. Um and he was, he met with the descendant of Helga Hufflepuff mm-hmm. and he kind of had a charmer in order to yes. make, you know, to steal the cup from her and like murder her or whatever like that. Obviously you're not a murderer, but you know, this is pretty dark magic we're talking about. <laughs> yeah. So have you thought about how like you would scheme in to like get the, the crown? Yes. So I would probably try to Meghan Markle my way in and then, um, you know, use an invisibility cloak. So I think that it would be like, you know, more of like Voldemort's mother, how she like used the love potion. So that's how I'm Meghan Markling my way in, right? And then once I'm in, I'm making everyone take this love potion so everyone loves me for like a week. So that I already love this plan. This is brilliant. (laughs) Thank you. And then I'm like, all right, I'll turn this into the Horcrux and then let the love potion wear off. And when they're like, man, I don't like this girl. And they're like, get rid of her. I'd be like, okay, bet. Um, and then I'd go back to living my life and forever, like with the queen and her family. And then like, maybe I'll do it again in a hundred years. I don't know. That's a really good plan. Like just kind of finesse the way in using the love potion. Um, I like how you drew back on, on Voldemort's mom using that yeah that's really dope i didn't even think of that that's really see you're already on your way you're halfway there oh man i don't know if that's like a good or bad thing right. in this situation like, it's kind of scary <laughs> that you've actually like thought through it this well i'm a little i'm a little afraid right now i mean yeah the, the planning i can do it's the execution that i would somehow like i'd fumble the bag i just right. know myself but exactly eh, it's fine what would you yeah. turn into a crux so when I first thought of this, like, um, the question was, you know, using Voldemort's logic. And Voldemort's logic was he got items that were, like, close to him or had some sort of significance to him. Mm-hmm. So I was thinking of along those lines at first. And the first thing I would think of would be, like, a drumstick because I play drums. And I've played drums for a long time, and people know that about me. But then I was like, that would make it easy for people, right? If people know yeah. me and they're trying to, like, destroy the horcruxes that are associated with me a drumstick or a pair of drumsticks would probably be one of the first things that people would look for. So I wanted to have something kind of like random, which is in the books. They kind of, it's kind of hinted at Harry's like, I mean, it could, the object could be literally anything. Yeah. And so there's kind of a despair attached to that, but then like, or Dumbledore has to bring him around to be like, you know, Voldemort is arrogant. So he's going to use, yeah. you know, really, esteemed or prestigious magical items or anything like that i don't need all that you know he's kind of a you know he was a glory glory hog you know really arrogant insecure one of people to know about like i don't need all that i want something like random and something that you wouldn't be able to trace back to me so i was just like maybe like a flower vase 
I'm not someone who has a lot of plants or, you know, loves flowers. I'd say all the time, my mom, like years ago, my mom heard a sermon about how plants symbolize growth when I was like in middle school. And then she just bought up a bunch of plants and our living room looked like a damn jungle and I hated it. But that's not me. So people know that I'm not like, you know, people wouldn't think about, oh, like maybe a flower vase, right? I mean, if they listen to this podcast, I guess they will. But um, I would choose like something random like a flower vase because it's like not really associated with me. And so I feel like it would be harder for someone to find and destroy. But would it be like a fancy flower vase? No. Mm-mm. It'd be like a very simple one that's at like your everyday flower shop. Yes. And so oh, wow. like in a random place, like in a place that's like not, no, like it wouldn't be in Des Moines. I live in Des Moines. It wouldn't be in Des Moines. It probably wouldn't be in Iowa. Maybe I would drive someplace like a random state that I've like never been to or um, to a country I've never been to and just like do it for the specific purpose of placing the Horcrux there. Like I'm really thinking like levels here, like okay. something as remote and isolated as possible and as like random as possible too. Okay. That's well, my should have done that. He should have, right? Because it's just like, you know, they had a whole like list of, you know, personality traits and what he was like and obviously they were able to like use memories and stuff like that, but he's such a, yeah, again, he's such a, a guy who wants recognition and so yeah. like boisterous and stuff like he couldn't help, but like leave some clues and I'm not trying to leave any clues. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't plan on making any, but you know, what are you going to do? I mean, in the off chance that this happens, right. <laughs> a flower vase. Exactly. <laughs> Um, what would your Patronus be? And this came from Jonathan Schroeder. What would our Patronuses be? So me, I like, I mean, I'm not a big animal person in general. And a lot of the Patronuses in the books are like tied to people's kind of like pets or something like that. Or just, I don't know. I don't have a, I always thought it was weird that I think Ron's is a weasel, isn't it? It's like a small, well, because Hermione like is an otter. Yeah. I don't remember I what Ron's was, but it was I like, just, yeah. I just felt like it was kind of on the nose. I don't know. It'd be like mine was like a tree or something because my last name. Yeah. But um, I would choose a falcon. Like I okay. want like a bird. I like animals that could fly. If I were an animal, I would want to be able to fly. Like I'm an animal already. It's already like my life is pretty fucked up. So I should at least be able to fly. So I would do like a falcon. I was going to say an eagle, but falcon for me. What about you? Um, I picked a moose. I was trying to think of like forest animals that just like kind of do their own thing. Um, moose just like they're living their lives. They attack you if they feel threatened. So I was like, well, they'll kill you. People don't think about this. And this might be because I read about someone in Yellowstone I think they probably tried to pet a bison because people do that. Um, fun fact, they are not to be pet. Um, they are very large and run very fast. So moose are similar. I think that like people just think about moose hanging out because they've seen like cartoons or like nature films. And they're like, moose are just like calm animals. And they're really not. <laughs> they will, they like destroy things. So I thought that would be a good Patronus. Have you ever thought of, like, people having... There's only so many animals, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, what if people have, like, the same 
Patronus? Would that be confusing? Like, I don't know. I wonder if they would be like different a little bit though, because like how Harry's is the stag and then Snape's is the doe, which like these subtle, like, yeah. Yeah. Subtle differences between them would be, I don't know. Like it's, I've thought about that while reading, like when he was teaching everyone to do a Patronus and order the Phoenix, I'm like, Oh, everyone has like a different animal, but like, it's not like anyone has an animal that's like useless, like a mouse, like a field mouse isn't going to be a good patron. Like that's not going to protect anyone from anything. So um, I'm sure that they have like repeat Patronuses. I don't know. JK Rowling could like, let us know. I know. Call (laughs) into the podcast, please. (laughs) Yeah. Like if you're listening, give us a call. Send us an email. We'll respond. I know. We'll be a guest on the next pod if you're listening. That'd be so fun. (laughs) Let's get into uh, the next question. The next question is also from Jonathan Schroeder, and it is our favorite film. He's just asking each of us what our favorite film is. And so we did a top five movie moments episode, Mm -hmm. and we broke down our favorite books, but we haven't spent a lot of time extensively on our, on our favorite uh, movies. So um, Emily, why don't you tell us what your favorite movie is and so why, I guess. Initially I was like, Oh, like prisoner of Azkaban is like such a well done movie. That one is not my favorite. It should be because it's very well done. Um, I like half blood Prince. It's not a good move. It's like not a great adaption of the book. It just isn't, but I just enjoy that it's kind of lighter than it should be. Um, like that movie, I just enjoy watching a lot for no like good reason. Like I know it's a hot take. People are like, that movie is like not great. So many things are missing. So many random things are there. And it's true. Like it's not a great Harry Potter movie, but it's an enjoyable movie. And of all the movies, I enjoy it. Like, that one is a mindless watch for me where I can just be like, oh, I'll watch this and, like, it, everything will be fine. Um, where's the other ones? Like, Deathly Hallows has so much going on, like, parts one and two. And they're, again, they're good movies. Um, I just have trash taste. I think um, one of the things that I like about Half-Blood Prince, the movie, is kind of the beginning where you see a little bit of the regular world like the non-magical world Mm -hmm. being influenced and impacted by the magical world um that opening scene and there's like i think there's like the mentors on the bridge or something like that or people apparating and it's just kind of i remember seeing that in the trailer and being like well it's pretty crazy and this is before i like read the book um but yeah i like that i think half-blood prince is the only of the movies that's been nominated for an oscar for cinematography if i remember correctly and that um, like that checks out like it is and maybe that's like part of why I enjoyed the movie by itself where I'm just like oh like this is just really it's done really cool yeah visually really cool to look at yeah 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 um my favorite movie is I've mentioned it before but it's Order of the Phoenix um just the themes of Harry's mental struggle with Voldemort's influence kind of creeping in on him 
and he's a little bit paranoid and I don't know in the movie it's a lot more um tolerable than the books like his angst is more tolerable in the movie than it is the book and I've I've grown to to have a greater appreciation of Order of the Phoenix as a book the the more that I've reread it I've read the book however many times maybe uh, I don't know like I've probably read that book three times now and I'll read it again later this year when I do my my reread of the series again but um yeah the the movie is just I think it's really thematically um it's executed really well and it's also cool to look at uh visually and the great um fight scene at the end between Dumbledore and uh, Voldemort is really well done again that's one of the things that one of the rare things that I like better in the movie than the book's interpretation but yeah I just it's um visually cool to look at and I just really the acting performances are good and yeah, I just love, I love Order of the Phoenix as, as the movie. It's interesting that you say that like Harry's angst is more tolerable in the movie than the book. Is it because like in the book, you're pretty much, you're reading about it. You're stuck with it, like the whole book. And because like anytime it's from like his perspective and like the movies, like what you said last time, last week, um, is that the movies are very much from like Harry's perspective. But even in that movie, they kind of, they don't just like focus on him being angsty. Yeah, for sure. It's um, the movie is, is, is very, um, the camaraderie comes through a lot in the movie, mm-hmm. the camaraderie between him and, and Ron and Hermione. And then um, the camaraderie between him and Dumbledore's army, like at the midpoint of the movie. And we've talked about in our podcast about how he is, um, Harry gets to demonstrate his leadership skills in a new way when he starts to train Dumbledore's army. I think that is really well done in the movie. Yeah, And they have their training sessions and that's kind of cut against Umbridge and Filch creating the, um, the Grand Inquisitor's orders or whatever it is to like stop them from meeting and things like that. And um, it's just really well done in terms of how it shows them bonding together. And um, like they're, the purpose of it is so that they can do these defensive spells so they can prepare themselves for the, for the upcoming war. But there's also um, a kinship developed between, between the students that you can really feel um, come across in, in the, in the screen. So yeah, yeah. I, I really loved it. Let's do our next Question, question number four. Do you want to get into that yeah. one? Yeah. So what is one thing you would change about the books? And this is from Jonathan Schroeder. So this was a difficult question for me. I thought about this one a lot. Okay. Um, and I guess answering it, it kind of, you can kind of piggyback off my my last statement about the, the camaraderie between the trio and some of the other students but I think that it would have been cool if, like, in one of the books, the trio was, like, more and hev- heavily involved with the student outside of their direct circle. So I consider their direct circle to be, so the trio, obviously, is Ray, Harry, Ron, and Hermione, and, like, the people in their direct orbit outside of them are, like, Jenny, and then Fred and George, Neville, and Luna. I think those are the, the students, those are the five students who are, they associate the most with, who they're in the most contacts with contact with outside of like Draco obviously they're not gonna they're not gonna be hanging around Draco a lot 
But say like a Dean Thomas or a Seamus or, or someone like that, or like a Katie Bell or somebody who yeah. is, you know, Katie Bell has her moment in, in Half-Blood Prince. But like, I think it would have been cool if like, there was a situation like related to like a Death Eater or something like Voldemort related, something war related where um, there's a student outside of their inner circle that had like a strong tie to it and had some sort of like insider knowledge about how to stop this. And then like the trio had to work with one of them in order to um, solve the mystery of the book or, or whatever it was. Um, it's, you know, like the first, yeah, the first five books basically are, or really the first six books are like mystery novels in some, in some way. And like the trio has to like solve a mystery. So I think it would have been cool to see like someone outside of the trio and outside of their inner, inner circle work with them and then kind of develop a deeper relationship with one of them um, in order to like solve the mystery or whatever. That's what, and that, that's kind of a broad answer, but I don't know. That's kind of what I thought of. I mean, like Cedric Diggory kind of was that. Yeah. Except, you know. Ooh. Yeah. RIP. <laughs> but if he hadn't died at the end of Goblet of Fire, do you think in the next couple of books, he could have been that like outside of the tr- like main group of, you know, students we hear about in the books, or do you think he would be like Cho where she, she has her moment and then kind of like fades out a little bit. Like nobody is paying attention to her story. Do you think that would have happened to Cedric if he had lived or would he be significant? This is such a fascinating question that you ask. And this is a question that's almost like, I'm surprised no one has asked this, us this before, or I've never really thought about this before, but this would be like a great question to submit to a podcast like this, which is like, how would the series be different if Cedric hadn't died? Like that's, I've never really thought about that. Um, but yeah, that's a really, I, I, so I imagine if everything happens as it happens in the Goblet of Fire mm-hmm. and somehow Cedric is able to survive the encounter in the graveyard, right? Like maybe him and Harry fight against Voldemort at the same time. They both do Expelliarmus, whatever happens. Yeah. And and saying it out loud now, it's almost like Cedric kind of had to die because Harry has to do that one-on-one with Voldemort, like from a storytelling perspective, that has to just be the two of them. But say he's like hiding or, you know, the the curse, the killing curse misses him and he like kind of plays dead. And then, you know, they take the poor key back together to Hogwarts. And l- yeah. like, let's say Cedric survives the ordeal. Um, it would definitely change things. I see him really like him and Harry at this point have both fought, fought Voldemort slash fought Death Eaters. So Cedric kind of becomes this like co-leader in the movement with Harry. But right. What if he had... Like, not even touch the portkey. Like, what if only Harry touched it? Like, let's say Harry touched it first. Mm-hmm. Like, they're going to reach for the cup. And just Harry okay. touches it. Like, so then only Harry goes to the graveyard. Okay. But okay. Harry knows all the things happen and he comes back. Sure. But they I, people still don't believe him. Like, I, was, I would think in that situation that Cedric would believe him. I, I think that Cedric, they've, they've shared this crazy ordeal in the maze. Yeah. They've had this relationship with each other throughout the different, you know, they tell each other about, you know, Harry mm-hmm. tells them about the dragons. Cedric tells Harry about, you know, how to solve the, um, how to solve the egg riddle. 
So I think that they have this, they have this bond between them even before they get to the graveyard. Exactly. So Harry, so Harry comes back solo and Cedric is alive. Cedric never goes, like you said. I think that Cedric would kind of be like maybe a little skeptical, but I feel like Harry would like convince him before he would convince the rest of the school, which, I mean, that's obviously a big plot point in the fifth book is people yeah. not believing Harry's story. And I feel like Cedric would be one of the people who'd be like, yo, I believe him. Like we went through some, some crazy shit in the Triwizard tournament. That could have been me in the graveyard. I could have ended up dead. Yeah. So I believe Harry and, and maybe like he doesn't Cedric. I mean, you know, he's, he's a Hufflepuff. He's not in their house. So he's not going to be around them. He's not going to be around the trio a lot, but he's going to be someone who they can kind of go. He's going to be, he's going to become like a Luna to them, in my opinion. Okay. That's what I would see. What about you? Okay. Um, I'm glad that you started with him. If he like went to the graveyard and like lived through the graveyard ordeal. Um, so, and the, so then there's those two scenarios, like either he's there or he's not either way. He's going to like be in that inner circle. Um, but the difference of like him being like a co-leader with Harry versus him just being like a supporter of Harry. Um, I think that's a very important line sure. in terms of like his role because sure. he could be like, Oh yeah. Like I support Harry. I know that he is doing this and like whatever he needs, you know, battle at Hogwarts, like he's there to help. Whereas if he is like also leading with Harry, because Cedric would have like left Hogwarts at the end of book four and gone out into the world. That's right. That's a good point. So then he, I mean, either way, he's going to be like Harry's advocate out in, out of Hogwarts and like, oh yeah, I believe him. And so if he, if Cedric goes to the graveyard, he's also going around being like, no, this guy was there. This guy was there. We both saw this. Um, and I see him being like very much a leader outside of Hogwarts when we get to that like climax point of, all right, this battle's happening. Whereas he could be just one of the people fighting or he's one of the people like leading the fight, leading the charge. So um, I, I think that, that's a realistic vision for Cedric. Like, I don't think no matter what he would be going to the department of mysteries in book five. For sure. And I think something else traumatic would have had to happen to Harry, like in the graveyard. I mean, the graveyard experience in general is pretty traumatic. Yeah. Um, like removing it. Yeah. Removing the death. Yeah, for sure. So, um, he, I think it just is the difference between him being like a tier one versus a tier two side character. Yeah. I see you make a, you make a good point that there's a, there's a delineation between him going to the graveyard and not going to the graveyard. If he goes to the graveyard, survives, comes back with Harry, he's basically, he becomes like Harry's general, basically, yeah. in my opinion, yeah. like he's Harry's like right hand person in terms of, you know, fighting and um, get, you know, he, like you said, like he leaves Hogwarts in book five and he's out in the magical world doing whatever he can to help. Like he comes, he sneaks into Hogwarts somehow to help with Dumbledore's army. Like that's the type of thing that I think that, that Cedric yeah. would have done. Um, versus 
him not coming back or him not going to the graveyard. And then, yeah, just kind of, um, like you said, becoming like more of a tier two character. But yeah, that's a, that's a really, that's a great question. We like created our own question here. That was dope. Yes. I really like, I like that. Um, wow. Uh, we were still talking about like one thing we'd change in the books. Yes. So what <laughs> oh, would you do? I know. Um, yeah, I got right off track. Go ahead. That what was would you? so far off the rails, but yeah. it was good. Um, I would, so I know that there's like diversity in the books. There's Cho and there's mm. Dean. And I'm like, ooh. Um, I think it's Angelina Dean, Johnson. Oh, yeah, Angelina Johnson and um, Lee Jordan. All right. And Lee so Jordan, yeah. There you go. Three black kids. There you go. We have one East Asian student. We have, the, we have two Southeast Asians because we have the Patels. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, which, like, fine. Speak on it. <laughs> I like, and I, I think as a kid, when I read Harry Potter, this wasn't something that I was like, there needs to be more diversity in what I consume because like all of the content I was consuming is like predominantly white. Mm -hmm. Um, And then like into adulthood and especially like the climate we're in now where a lot of like content is being made by people of color. Um, I think there's like a lack of people of color in stories like Harry Potter who are like, significant to the story everyone has a black friend like great you met your quota like could we not do that so I think that while JK Rowling did a really good job of like all these other social issues like getting people to like experience empathy for people different than them how hard is it to make like more characters like diverse and like I I understand it's England it's very white but like London is super diverse. It Why is. are there like yeah, it not more diverse characters in like tier two and above? Yeah. So I'm saying. So that's what I would like change in this moment now. Um in those books. Which like I guess if she were to be writing them now, she might feel obligated to do that. I'm not positive about that. I think that's like kind of a jump because even young adult authors who write fantasy are still like, I don't want to like talk about an experience outside of my own. I'm like, guess what? There are so many people you can consult about this experience. So um, there's my soapbox for now. We were talking about um, the Hapla Prince movie how you mentioned and i remember seeing the movie for the first time in the beginning harry is in the london underground and he's like reading the paper whatever and there's the waitress he's like kind of flush with the waitress the waitress is a black woman Mm -hmm. and i was like okay harry i see you done um but yeah like that's how it's they're all peripheral characters right so we named up we named a bunch of them i just thought of like kingsley shacklebolt and a blaze sabini those two are both black um but they're they're these kind of like outer orbit characters And, um, you know, yeah, it's, it's tough. There's no, um, there isn't a a really significant role for a person of color in the story, uh, like a pivotal, like kind of game changing role, which is, yeah, it's, it's, it's difficult. So I, I agree with everything that you said. And that is, I, I also agree that it speaks to a broader issue of, of fantasy literature in general. And, um, 
you know, fantasy stories in general and like who gets to tell stories and, and who doesn't. I don't know if you watch Game of Thrones or not, but. Uh, no, I it might be too violent for me. I like it's on the list, but I'm like, oh, my God, it's really gory. I it don't is. Know. <laughs> it is. It's very violent, very violent, a lot of sex, a lot of, you know, swords, impaling people, all that stuff. Yeah. But um, I I watched it. I watched I binged all of it last year. I okay. binged all of it before the final season started. I got done with the last episode of the seventh season the day before the eighth season premiered. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So, which I don't recommend. I don't recommend consuming it in that way because I'll probably have to go back and and rewatch the series again. Mm. But I was like watching two and three episodes a day when I could and like just like a lot of stuff. But like the first season, especially like throughout the entire thing, like there's not, there's barely any color characters of color. And especially the first season. The first season I was like, are they just like, did black people just like not exist in like middle earth or whatever the hell this takes place. <laughs> but like, yeah, it's just like from a broader fantasy story perspective, there's like, there's just not a lot of characters of color and <clears throat> excuse me. There's, you know, that, that kind of also speaks to who gets to write the stories and who doesn't. And, um, you know, I've heard people say like talking about fantasy stories that take place in this like fictionalized fantasy version of like the middle ages or whatever. And people are just like, well, there weren't really black people back then. I'm like, what? Like, what are you talking about? So yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy. It's, but yeah, I, I agree with you. I agree with you completely. You Like we just, it would have been great to have. Even a professor. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> One of the most, one of the more centralized roles, be someone of color. Um, and she, she's also like she hinted at Dumbledore being gay, and that like set off a firestorm from people. So I can only imagine like how people would have re- responded to like um, a more prominent character of color. But like all, like just it needs m- more diversity across the board. I agree. Like, what if Hermione had been a person of color? Well, did you see, did you, the, um, the Cursed Child, um, the original, so the Cursed Child is a play originally, Mm -hmm. and the original, like, London production of of Cursed Child, Hermione was black, and, like, that was, like, a big, I remember that. And J.K. Rowling said, like, I never specified in the books if Hermione was black or white. Like, there are other characters that I did, but I never, you know, specified, and so people, you know, people project onto things their belief systems and their values, um, you know, but it's, it would have made a difference and it would have made a difference for people like us who are consuming these stories and want to see people who look like us in these stories. Fortunately, we're starting to see more stories, not necessarily like in book form. I've not seen a lot of like any East Asian, Southeast Asian Hispanic, black, anything not white, not like very Western in like the fantasy books, but like it's it's getting there. So I would hope that in the next 10 years we have something like Harry Potter or the Chronicles of Narnia or uh Lord of the Rings, like all these really popular series that everyone likes. <laughs> I'm I'm hoping we can get to that point where like there are books where the stories being told by someone else. There is a series, there's a movie coming out. I know, I don't know when, cause I mean, obviously we're in a, a pandemic and there's not a lot of, there's like no movies basically being 
in production right now. But um, Ryan Coogler, who is like my favorite director, directed Black Panther, directed Creed, directed Fruitvale Station. He's adapting a um, like a fantasy series about a family of like monster hunters, like a black family of monster hunters during the Harlem Renaissance. And I like I'm so I'm so into that. And it's based off a comic book. I need to get the comic book, too. But um, I'm, not, I'm not sure when that's going to happen. But like stuff like that is what I mean. And that's what we both mean. I'm sure. We, yeah. We need like more stories like that. Yes. Where it's not like the same. Like stereotype. Yeah. Um, which like across the board, I think uh, people of color need because I think it's very easy for people to be like, yes, let's have the the Hispanic friend and they're like this. Right. let's have the black friend and they are athletic um and it's just like okay but like you can make it you can change it up it's fine for sure um, yeah so want to get into the next question yes um so the time turner Addie Olson thank you for submitting this um why save Buckbeak and Sirius and no one else with the Time Turner? So when I was thinking about this question, I was, the first thought I thought, I'm like, is, does Addie mean just in that book or does she mean like in general in the series? I'm going to spread it out to the entire series. And okay. I know talked about how I just think that J.K. Rowling kind of got into the time travel aspect of it a little bit too hastily. Like we talked about how she said that in one of her interviews it's just like you know i introduced time turners and then it just opened up these endless questions about why didn't i do this why didn't i do that so um that's the answer in my opinion is that she just like wasn't really thinking about the implications of introducing time travel and so she used it as a plot device for the specific thing to get serious out of yeah um out of hogwarts and you know back out into the world on the run. Um, but yeah, because if you think about it, knowing um, knowing like Harry and Hermione and how much, how much they, you know, they want to do good and want to, you know, correct wrongs and things like that. Like there's a whole list of things that they could have done, but the story just kind of just jumps right over that into them going back, you know, six hours in the day and just doing this one specific mission. So I just think the answer is, um, from the from the writing perspective, it just was kind of it wasn't thought out in a way that J.K. Rowling would have wanted to if she had if she had have had the chance to do it over again. I agree with that. Um, I, I think you're completely on it with her just kind of throwing it in there. She was like, "This seems good," and then oh. We could like people are going to ask questions like time travel is always something where people are like, oh, why didn't you go back and stop this from happening? And then the other thing wouldn't have happened that you had to prevent. Um, so it's definitely a messy thing. Um, and. I am like I reading it. All right, like reading Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban and then like reading any other Harry Potter books like you kind of you kind of forget about it and then you get into like the Goblet of Fire and you're like oh well like maybe you could and like doesn't Hermione reference that for 
Rita Skeeter. Like that's maybe one of the ways that she's like overhearing things. About the time turner? Yeah, I can't remember. Yeah, I think she does. Yeah, she okay. introduces that as a possibility. And then I think that's when pe- when she's like, well, they were all destroyed or whatever. Because like in that book, that's how J- J.K. Rowling like writes it out of the series is that, you know, like yeah. they all get destroyed. Yeah, and I and I think that's like a good, that's really the ultimate sign that she was just like, oh, crap, was like she wrote it out of the story that they all got destroyed. So um, I don't know why not any time before that story they didn't use the time turner for anything else but again i've read that in cursed child it does like it comes back like yeah. time turners are a big part of that and i haven't you know we have neither of us have read cursed child yet or <clears throat> obviously seen the play but um yeah i don't know she must have thought that okay i have a a, a good idea of how to use it now and i know that there there are things that they they like see happen from previous books that they like purposely purposely don't stop from happening. I think actually there might be a there they try to go back and the original thing is like they go back in time and stop Cedric Diggory from dying actually. Um, in Cursed Child, I think that's one of the like plot scenarios. But I don't know. It just it's if you think about it too hard, it'll it'll numb your brain. So, and I love time travel movies and stuff, but still like it's. It's tough to like write that out. Yes, agreed. Um, do you want to get into the next question? Sure. Next question, also from Addie. This is so her question is: How is there not more crime in the Wizarding World? She would use Addie would use the Imperious Curse all the time on her sister. Shout out to Hannah. Um, on my teachers, I would have had everyone do what I wanted them to do. So, what do you think about this? This is a good question. Yeah, I thought that was a very good question. It was. It made me just like stop and think, like really hard about it. So, like, reading the books, watching the movies, even the like little bit that is like not Harry's perspective, it's not enough for us to like really know what's going on. And then, like in Fantastic Beasts, you kind of see a little bit more of the world outside of Hogwarts and like what's going on and what orders are doing and. Um, you know, how they kind of maintain the magical world. Um, I bet that the Imperious Curse is happening a lot more than they expected or, like, they talk about expected's not right. Um, I think it's being used way more. Like, it's forbidden, but, like, driving over 70 miles an hour is forbidden, and, like, people are still doing that out of convenience. Now, it might not be, like to the extreme that like a death eater would use it, but it might be like parents wanting their children to like go to sleep. They've bit like they won't sleep or whatever. And just like, ah, just like mellow out. Like I listen, (laughs) if I could do it, I'm telling you, you have no idea. So like, I think that it's probably happening a lot more and I'm sure that there's like organized crime in the wizarding world. Voldemort was just like too flashy. He had too much pride he could have done this so much better. He, his whole setup, he could have just like, he didn't even have to go and kill Harry or try to kill Harry. But no, he was too scared of losing power. He should have run it like a mob boss. Um, and so I'm sure some other wizards are doing that and using the Imperious Curse for it. 
I have in the notes that it would be like a great spinoff to like look at crime in the wizarding world and then like Orish are trying to stop the crimes. I know that Binge Mode has talked about that. Like they they call it Law and Or. <laughs> That's the the series that Mallory and Jason want to write. But yeah, like it's that. like I, I like the way you put it, like organized crime, like organized crime in the wizarding world and like wizarding mob bosses and using the imperious curse to, you know, cover up illegal activity or, you know, they're trying to make profit off like people like leaning on the daily profit to write certain stories and like that type of stuff. And definitely using the imperious curse and in those in those situations. I know that it was mentioned in the people in the Order of the Phoenix mentioned that in the first Wizarding War, that was a big thing. Um, trying to figure out who was under the Imperious Curse and who wasn't and how how much fear it inspired because no one knew who to really trust and that type of thing. And so, yeah, I agree with you. I think that that stuff still goes on. It's just like kind of buried like way, way deeper underground. And then also we're like knowing the perspective from the, from the students who wouldn't really have um, any knowledge of that. Yeah. And like, maybe there's like an imperious curse light so that you don't like completely fry the person under right. the curse. I don't know. For sure. That would just be so cool to see though. Like, um, um, what is her name in the, in the fantastic beast series? The main woman oh, character. I can't think of her name. Um, played by Sam Watterson's daughter. Um, Goldstein Goldstein is your last name uh, Tina Tina yeah. Tina Goldstein so she's an or she's an American or it'd be cool to kind of just see and we don't have to have like four movies on it but it, I don't know yeah. if JK Rowling wanted to write something or like just you know her um, and in the first Fantastic Beast movie she's kind of coming off being like reprimanded or something for, you know, some bad things that she did, but just to kind of see her navigating, um, trying to catch criminals in the, in the wizarding world. I think that'd be really cool. That'd be so fun. I would read that. Um, just, there's a spinoff about just what's going on. It'd be real exciting. And like, even if it was what was going on when Voldemort was like rising to power, like what's what other crime is happening? Like obviously he's going around killing and scaring people, but like what's the bigger move happening? Do you think that we'll see something maybe in the in the later Fantastic Beast movies about that time period, about Voldemort's rise, and then we can kind of see how the Imperious Curse is being used and how, you know, because we know that Voldemort used that curse to um to consolidate power and yeah. you know he's committing these various crimes do you think that we'll that we'll see that at all i would hope so just to kind of bring the to tie the stories together because i feel like if they're going to introduce albus dumbledore's jude law like you need to you need to explain some things that have happened and like bring it to not necessarily Harry Potter, but just like, all right, Voldemort probably was around at this time. So like, let's bring these things together. Let's tighten it up. Yeah. Um, but I could also see J.K. Rowling going for another money 
Instagram and like just writing something else, like helping to create something else. So like, you know, she's helping with Fantastic Beasts and maybe she's like in 10 years, 15 years, because she'll still be youngish. She could still write. She probably still has stories in her head. And if she's like really the the Rita Skeeter of all of this, like she has other stories. Um, I I think she it would be really good for her. Like she could probably dig into just like the wizarding world, like the Ministry of Magic. Why is it such a hot mess? And like what's happening all throughout it? I mean, obviously we see the mismanagement in the Ministry of Magic, but like what else is going on there? Like we see a very small sliver of it. Let's get into the next question. Okay. So Kenneth Mockevy asked for a deeper dive into Snape and Dumbledore. Um, we I feel like we have like made our feelings on Snape clear. Not a good dude. We have, yeah, we've made that. We we've gotten into it. Do you feel like we are are we being unfair to him? I don't ever feel that. <laughs> and I like see things. So I've been like you know, in quarantine, I've watched a lot of TikToks. I read a lot of like, like now Reddit emails me Harry Potter stuff. And I'm like, great. Um, let me just read these things that I don't really need to read. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, people seem to really support Snape. And I'm like, but like, ah, yeah. he's the worst. <laughs> let me, let me, I'll share his good qualities. What I see okay. as his good qualities. Because again, like we've he's 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 taken a beating in this podcast from time yes. to time, deservedly yes. so. But you know, yes. Um, so he is someone who is loyal, and he is someone who, in my opinion, will do whatever it takes to get the task done. I respect that. I respect his his commitment to, um. His commitment to the Order of the Phoenix, I guess. Like his like that really that can't be questioned. He put himself in a very dangerous position. And um it should be noted that he had not the best childhood growing up. Yeah. Um things between his his parents weren't great. I don't know if he does it say if he had any siblings or not. I don't know if, if he was an only child. I don't child. remember it saying anything about siblings. Yeah, I don't either. We'll assume he's an only child. That can be lonely. That can be isolating, whatever. Um, are you an only child? I, I should have asked that. I don't know. No, I have a like younger sibling who sometimes pretends that they she's not related to me because I annoy <laughs> her. <laughs> she's just like, you're too much. Um, but yeah, like it's, I don't, he, he grew up in, in, in tough circumstances. So I, I can, I understand that he didn't have the best life growing up. My issue is, he becomes an adult and he takes out his frustrations from his youth on a child that is his student. And I just don't agree with that at all. And I'll, uh, like an entire group of students, not just Terry, but like Gryffindor, anyone who's not Slytherin in general, he has like this contempt for. And I think yeah. that that's why. And I just don't agree with it. So it's very interesting that like no one like stops him from being like this. Um, like there is no way that other professors, Dumbledore, like they know that he's like tripping and they're just like, 
Right, like that's just him. That's just Snape. That's just Severus. <laughs> you take the good with the bad. I'm like, well, that's like what? Bad. That's really bad. Yeah. Um. Ooh. But I, yeah, his his good qualities are he, it, he will do what he is told, um, and his loyalty is there. Yeah. He's very loyal to Dumbledore because Dumbledore extended like kindness and grace to him. So like, I th- I think that's good that he understood what he had been given in that moment. Like he understands that like Dumbledore just to be just as easily could have been like, listen, you are a known death eater, my dude. Nah, you are not going to teach at this school. You do not care what you have to say. Like you, you made your bed, lie in it. Um, mm-hmm. And he almost does that in that conversation when he when Snape comes to him, yeah. Um, after Lily and James are killed, and Dumbledore is like, "You fell in with the wrong people." He says something like, "You disgust me." Like, I don't really have time for you. And then you know, Snape like begs and begs. So yes, and then like Dumbledore extends his kindness, and this man turns around. And he's like, "All right, time to bully some students." Right. Dude. Let's get to it. <laughs> it's not great um but he's he is a complex character it's not like he's just like awful because he feels like being awful yeah um it's like he has motives it's you can see why he's behaving like that um and that is all i have on snape (laughs) yeah i'll never claim he's a one-dimensional character because he's no i just don't think that he's i just i'm not a big fan of his in the way that a lot of people seem to be so do you want to talk about Dumbledore? Um, yeah, I think so. Like because of this, when so Kenny, he was like, "Yeah, you don't really talk about Dumbledore that much." And like we mostly talk about Dumbledore in relation to Harry. It's a Harry Potter podcast, um, but Dumbledore. As I was thinking about it, and I'm like listening to binge mode and reading the books, I'm like, "Wow, Dumbledore is just like overly confident in his abilities, and he's." wrong like he's like i'm gonna leave harry with his family he'll be safe and then he knows that they're abusing him he's like tough break um and he knows that harry has the invisibility cloak and is like going and doing all these things he's just like cool this is fine and i'm like but he ends up in like the forest and like could have died there. Like Dumbledore, no. And like uh, to progress the story and like, he has to kind of put Harry in those like situations or let Harry get into those situations. And then up until the point where Dumbledore dies, but um, like in the Goblet of Fire, he, you know, he makes the circle around the goblet so people can put their name in and they have to be 17 and like all this stuff. No one's going to cross that line. And he's like, no, no one's going to mess this. Like, no one's going to get it. Trust me. And then, like, Mad-Eye Moody imposter comes in and it's just like, bet. And gets Harry's name in there. Pretty much, like, almost gets Harry killed. And tells them all, like, how he did it in the beginning of the book when he's like, it takes, like, a really good curse to confuse the goblet. And I'm like, yeah, Dumbledore was too like confident in his abilities and like doesn't really seem to be like huh maybe I should like ease up maybe I'm not like as great as I think I am 
now? I think that he is presented as this like all wise, all knowing figure. Yeah. And we, as the reader have to kind of remind ourselves of his failures. There's the moment at the, at the end of, um, at the end of Order of the Phoenix, where he meets with Harry in his office after everything's gone down at the Ministry of Magic and Harry is really pissed off and he's throwing things and he kind of unloads on Harry. And even in that, even in that moment, he is not completely honest with him. He doesn't yeah. give him all of the information. He gives him an information download, but not like everything, even then. But in that information download, he's kind of talking about his like failures throughout the throughout the beginning of the book. And then he gets into a little bit of his history with Harry and talking about his failures with Harry. But really it's like, it's, that's really it. And, and then in, in, in book seven, we get the perspective of Harry. Who's like, how much I even know about him? And there's the, you know, his history with Grindelwald and, um, Harriet's like conflicted about that. And I actually agree with Hermione because Hermione in that moment was just like, you know, they were really young and, you know, she's like, honestly, I think that you're just mad that he didn't tell you this himself. And Harry's like, well, yeah, I am mad about that. But like, so, you know, there's, there's those moments where really like what you just articulated is this, yeah, this, this overconfidence that leads to a lot of his failures, his failures with the goblet, like you said, um, his his to me, him leaving Harry with the Dursleys is just like. So he he's, Harry has to be there for a certain time period, yeah, because of the because of the spell, yeah. But there's this there's kind of this this underlying thing throughout the series. I feel like where it's just like well he had to endure those things so he wouldn't be stuck up and he wouldn't be. Um, Dumbledore says it, right? He says something yeah. like, you, you didn't grow up like a pampered prince, blah, blah, blah. Fine. Yes. But that's not... Children growing up in traumatic households is not like... That shit doesn't build character. It builds children who have to endure trauma. Like, it's better for a, ch- a child to be raised in a household where they have love and affection and care than outright, like, hatred and caretakers who despise them yeah like there there's a middle ground between harry growing up arrogant believing he's the chosen one and then harry growing up in the way that he did with the dursleys yeah and so i know that there's some way that they could have like finagled for him to not have to spend the entire summer with the dursleys every year after he enters the magical world like i know that there's some kind of way that they could have maybe he stays there for two days maybe he stays there for a week and then, you know, he stays with the Weasleys for the rest which, for the rest of the time, which they would have loved, I know. But like that, like that's one of the biggest ones to me is that Dumbledore kind of like, I feel like Dumbledore sees Harry stays with the Dursleys as just like, ah, oh, well, yeah, it's kind of tough, but you know, he had to go through that. And I'm like, he didn't have to go through that. Like he did not have to stay with this family that like hated him, denied him who he was, lied to him about the circumstances of his parents' death you know all this like horrible you know malnourished him like all this horrible stuff that he had to endure like that's one of the biggest issues for me with Dumbledore because that's all orchestrated by Dumbledore and I feel like Dumbledore sees that entire thing as just like you know kind of a you know an unfortunate thing that Harry had to go through when it's to me it's like really 
it's a lot deeper than that. Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree. And, um, like to what you had said about like, he's presented as like this wise, like very all knowing character, like throughout the series, like people very much respect him and they just like, they're like, yeah, seems like, uh, Dumbledore said it. So it's a good idea. Like, and I think, I don't know if she intentionally was writing it like this, where like people will accept that from people that they're like, yeah, no, I really respect this person. So like what they're doing must be for the greater good because their other behaviors have indicated that even if this behavior is like not great, I don't, I don't know if that it was that much thought went into that or if it was just like, no, Dumbledore is like here and he is like kind of helping Harry ultimately. I don't know. He has a lot of responsibility in the books, obviously. We understand that he's, you know, he's leading the school and he's also at the same time like leading this front against Voldemort, you know, trying to rally like people on the side of good to get back to this, you know, to enter the Second Wizarding War. But then, you know, in the sixth book, like, you know, his arrogance becomes his downfall. Like he's arrogant about touching the ring and then, you know, he gets cursed and that leads to his death. So, um, we, I mean, we've talked a lot about his good traits, right? We've already talked a lot about, you know, he's, he's a good person, you know, he has good intentions. Some of the, some of his methods are questionable, but at the end of the day, like he is, um, he is a force for good in the wizarding world and he cares about his students. He cares about the good of his school. He cares about the good of the, you know, the public wizarding good. But, you know, everyone has flaws. And I think that it was it was good to to kind of see how those flaws impacted the people that um, were his followers and the people who not only like cared about him and revered him, but who were like directly impacted, like their lives were directly impacted by the choices that Dumbledore made and the, the information that he told them and the information that he withheld from them beyond just Terry, like multiple people had to yeah. had to kind of deal with those consequences. Yeah. And even he did at the end. Yes. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. Oh. Complex character also. <laughs> For sure. For sure. Uh, question number eight. This is also from Kenneth. And it is our favorite professors. Who are our favorite professors? Who is your favorite professor? Remus Never. Lupin. Okay. Like, Hands down, it's a very easy. Also, like, we see him so much. Um, mm-hmm. You had said previously that, like, you know, Prisoner of Azkaban is a lot about him. And we we see so much happening in his life. Um, so maybe it's unfair that we're just, like, so involved in, like, what's going on with him and, like, his relationship with Harry. And obviously, like, after he is the professor, he is, he still has a very good relationship with Harry. Um but he's just like kind. He's like the ultimate good dude in like all of this. He's just like, we just need to do the right thing. We, he trusts Dumbledore. Like he is extremely loyal. Like he has so much faith. Um, and he, I think of like when they have the, the bogger and like each student is experiencing different things and he caters to like the individual. Um, he was just like the most caring and like, overall um 
invested and like despite all the stuff he was going through he could separate that like he's a werewolf but that doesn't impact anything obviously there were days he couldn't teach and then snape would sub and that would be awful for the students but like he trusted snape to make him like that potion like i think lupin just like is the best adult of the whole series I think that people have different teaching styles that they like and that they, that they connect to and that they, you know, different teaching styles bring out um, the best academically in, in different people. But, yeah. you know, having said that, I feel like objectively Lupin is like the best teacher that we see in the books, like the best teacher of a subject that yeah. we see. And, and a part of that too, is that we, spend a lot more time in his classroom than we do other people's like we see it's like him and then moody and you get a little bit of like like in the, in the other um books it's like one scene like you get like yeah. one scene in uh, like gilderoy lockhart's defense class like in the second book like you don't really get um more than that and you you get more than that with lupin um, so yeah, for, for me, it's like, it's a tie between Lupin and then I also really like McGonagall. I think McGonagall is a really good teacher. She teaches, um, transfiguration and she McGonagall to me is like, she is an example of like what Snape could have been, right? Yeah. Like McGonagall isn't like really buddy, buddy with students. She's not like, she cares about the students as much as anyone, but it doesn't manifest itself in a way like with Lupin. Lupin is really like, has a, like a tenderness with the students that McGonagall doesn't really have, but it's still clear that she cares about the students and she's very fair. Yes. And she is very um, invested in making sure that the students succeed academically. Yes. Like to me, that's what Snape could have been. Snape was never going to be a Lupin. He was never going to display a tenderness. He was never going to be buddy, buddy with students. He was never going to be um, someone that a student or, you know, the average student isn't going to like, want to stay after class and like, you know, kind of chop it up with them after, you know, Snape was never going to be that. And McGonagall isn't, isn't, isn't that, but McGonagall was fair and she was, um, she, she treated people with respect. Yes. She didn't show this contempt for people who weren't in her house. So like, to me, kind of like the, the upstanding, like older generation t- teacher, who is like, you know, strict, but fair and um, really shows that they care about the students in a way that's um, not necessarily tough love, but, you know, it's um, really direct. She had a really direct way with the students. And I feel like Snape could have been that, but he just like leaned too far into his own biases. So, and I, I, I do wish to, I have this in, my no, in, in our notes, but I wish we could have seen Dumbledore teach. I wonder what type of teacher he would have been back in the in the day when he was he was teaching and not the headmaster but to me it's a it's a it's a split between Lupin and McGonagall I think that's a solid choice for both of those um you might get to see Dumbledore teach in the Fantastic Beasts movies so there's still hope yet whenever they start making movies again oh my um yeah it's okay. There's a lot to watch now. So like very thankful for that, but we'll be very excited in the coming like couple years to see where the Fantastic Beast stories like where that story goes. Definitely. And it's such a it's tough too because it's such more of an unknown 
than the main series. With the main series, we, you know, the books existed. So before each movie came out, the book was already there. But for this, it's kind of up in the air. We don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, because even the Fantastic Beasts book is like not really a story of Newt. It's just like the the different uh, like creatures. Like it's it's super cool, but it yeah. just nothing like what we get to watch. So it's very fun. Um, do you want to rank the Weasleys from the best Ginny to the worst Percy? Yes. This is a question from, from Andrew, uh, Andrew Downs. Um, I'll go with mine. Okay. I'll give my reasoning for it. I think that we have, we have somewhat similar. We lists, do. We'll, 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 um, we'll, we'll get into my list. Starting with the best. For me, the best is Jenny. Then Ron. Then Bill. Then the twins, friend George. Then Charlie and then Percy. Um, why don't you give your list and then we'll kind of go, then we'll kind of get okay. into why. Yeah, because they're probably similar reasoning. So I rank Ginny as the best. Um, she just crushes it. And then Bill, the twins, Ron, Charlie, Percy. Okay. Now the biggest difference I think is that I have Ron second and you have Ron fourth. Yes. So why, why, why is Ron ranked so low on yours? Um, it's not even that Ron isn't like great. Like Ron's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, Bill's super cool. And I really like the twins better than I like Ron. Okay. Like that's, it doesn't say anything. Like even Charlie, we don't hear about Charlie enough for me to be like, yeah. so like obviously Percy kind of sucks, but all the rest of the Weasley kids are like super cool. Yeah. Um, why did you like rank the Weasleys the way you did? Like, bill before the twins even so really like what sticks out to me with bill and this is maybe my bias about deathly hallows but i think about bill and fleur and shell cottage and mm-hmm. um the way that they looked after uh the trio during the deathly hallows and like yeah. the bill has an interaction with harry in that book where he's just like i know that you're planning something like can you tell me what you're planning and harry's like i can't and he's like, all right, like, I'll, I accept that. I'll do whatever I can to help you. And, you know, he's such, he's, he's, I see Bill as the most adult of the, of the siblings. Like there's yeah. Arthur and Molly, and then there's the kids. And Bill is kind of like, Bill is kind of the bridge between the kids and the parents to me. He's kind yeah. of like the third parent almost. And he is, um, he's just, he's so, he's, he's, just different than the rest of the than the siblings like the rest of them obviously he's like is he the oldest bill is the oldest isn't yeah he? I, think it was, I thought it was bill and then charlie bill is just like he's like this adult child hybrid kind of like this guy who can he can relate to his siblings but he's also has this you know he's an adult he's a professional he's married um he's you know got bit by the werewolf and he's you know he has to deal with that but he's a guy who is, you know, he's in the Order of the Phoenix and he's like on the front lines of this battle. But like his interactions with the trio at Shell Cottage really is what puts him over the top for me in terms okay. of um, being the third best. Like he's just so, he's like supportive. They stay there for like a few weeks, I'm pretty sure. And um, 
he just knows that like what they're doing is important. Like this is pivotal. This is, this is important. And without, you know, he doesn't go in on Harry about, well, you know, you need to tell me he's like, all right, I accept it. Just like, tell me what I need to do. Like that type of thing. Like that's a, that's something that I feel like I really relate to. I think that that would, I put myself in Bill's position and like, that's how I hope I would, I would react in that situation as well. So that's why Bill is so high for me. Okay. Very nice. You have him high too. So I do. You must be, you must have a. Yeah. I just feel like Bill, like, so the twins kind of mess around a lot. So I was like, well, I can't yeah. reasonably put the twins before Bill while I do enjoy the twins and like, um, I think they're super fun throughout the series. They're very like, they bring just this very fun piece to uh, Hogwarts with all their pranks and um, then having the prank, the joke shop. Um, But Bill is just like, one he's introduced is like super cool. um, Mm -hmm. And like, he's not one of those characters that you're like, Oh, like you're neat. And you like, I just want to know more about you. Like you do want to know more about Bill, but he like, is so chill and then ends up with Fleur and like um, doesn't seem to like, he's just like, this is what it is. It's just fine. Like he is just doing his best to like help Molly and Arthur, like be with his sibling. I think that Bill is just like a good person. I've said this about so many people I feel now where I'm like, Oh, they're like a good guy. They're like (laughs) a good person. Um, And not the Twins aren't good people, but they did try to like blackmail Ludo Bagman. So like, uh, I feel like they would blackmail other people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The twins are great. I have them a little bit. I have them third to last, which I don't know. It's it, I mean, and it's not a long list either way. But like, yeah. I I love the twins. I love the they're they're funny. They're personable. Yes. Um. You know, I have nothing but good things to say about them. It's just like in the context of the story, it's just like there are other people who I feel like were more um, put in danger more and had to like go through more stuff. Now, obviously, one of the twins dies at the end, right? But um, yeah, I just like a Ron. I have Ron ranked second because, you know, he's just like he's just he's too pivotal to the story for me to not have him in second. Like he's okay. he's he's very pivotal to the story. He is um you know, at the end of the day, you you want a friend like Ron. You want someone who's gonna be there throughout everything. And um as far as the trio goes, I don't know if I've if I've said this before on the podcast or not, but I feel like each one of them is the best at a certain thing. So yeah. like Harry, Harry is the best, uh, you know, tactician planner has the best instincts. Um, you know, he's, he's, the, has, he's the leader, you know, all those things. Hermione is the smartest, right? She's the best at spells. Yep. She's the most, um, well-prepared, the best, um, she, she's the best with, um, just like organizing things and, you know, she's, the, she's the brilliant one. And then Ron, has the best knowledge of the magical world. Um, he's, uh, he was, he's the only one of the trio who was raised in the magical world. And there are things that are like, you know, secondhand to him that Hermione and Harry don't know. And he has to like explain it to them. And, um, so he, he's just a really pivotal character. And, um, 
we, you know, Ron is, he's, he's caught some strays from me on this, on this podcast, <laughs> but I, he's, in terms of the Weasley siblings, I give him, he's, he's got a high ranking for me. He is a good guy and he, I appreciate that while like each of the three characters like have what they're like good at that you just mentioned, um, also that they kind of, you see how they fail. I feel like Percy is an example of, you kind of just see him failing. Like Percy from book one is kind of a narc. Um, and then it just gets worse. Like he, even in like this time of crisis, does not really go out of his way to like talk to his parents when like they could be dead. He, right. And I'm sure he's like, well, I see my dad at work every day. I just don't talk to him. But like Percy arguably is like one of those characters that I'm sure there are redeeming qualities, but is written very much where like there isn't any. And like a lot of other characters kind of have what any other person in the world would have. Like we have these really good character traits. We also have some flaws and Ron, because we see him so much, we see his flaws um Ginny I feel like Ginny's not really painted in like a negative way like once she becomes like a significant player Mm -hmm. yeah there aren't a lot of like I mean she she might come off as like a little headstrong but like not I don't not in a negative way no to me she's like headstrong in in the way that Harry is yeah so yeah I you know Ginny is easily number one for me she's just like she's the coolest she's the most athletic she's like um she's the most popular amongst the students she's just like and you see like you've mentioned before like you see her growth from like the super shy small kid to become like what she becomes like yeah jenny's definitely number one and then poor charlie i know i feel i agree with you though like we just don't really know a lot about charlie we know that he like raises dragons or whatever yeah or works with dragons and like dresses with like a dragon earring and like that's it he's like the cool punk brother or whatever but like you don't really know a lot about charlie maybe charlie deserves his own spinoff maybe we just don't know maybe he'd be great if we got to know him a little bit better he would be super hip call us jk let us write that for you we will do all of these things we don't even need like the majority of like the royalties or whatever how it works take one percent just one that still be a, a hell of a bag. Oh my gosh, it'd be the of, biggest bag. Off for... of how popular this stuff is. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's get into the last question. Last question is, this is another ranking question from Andrew. Mm-hmm. And is rank the defense against the dark arts teachers. Now, again, this is a pretty, pretty low bar. Um, I think, you know, off top, obviously Lupin is the best. Um, we had really... We had basically the same list, except one was switched. So why don't you what, give us your list? Okay. Um, so I had Lupin, Fake Mad-Eye Moody, Lockhart Snape, Quirrell Umbridge. I had the same, except I just switched Lockhart and Snape. I have Lupin, Fake Moody, Snape, Lockhart, Lockhart Quirrell Umbridge. And I think that I was just like it's my bias against Snape where I'm just like, the more I think about it, the more we talk about Snape and the more I'm just like consuming Harry Potter content again, I'm just like, ugh. Yeah. 
Lockhart sucked, but like, and then Lockhart lied. It's not that he was, but he like brought creatures in for people, for the the students to learn spells. And he tried to teach them different things. Like he tried really hard. Um, It was just like unfortunate that he was the biggest liar. And that's where like the Imperius, like he was probably doing the Imperius curse. 100 percent yeah definitely. he was doing so many other shady things that's what that is the crime of the wizarding world series we need to see i think that like the reason i put snape above lockhart is just for that reason like lockhart was like a fraud yeah like he's just like not beyond being a bad teacher he just like lied about everything he was, he was fraudulent about his experiences he was fraudulent about um, his bravery, like all the stuff. Like he turned his he turned his wand against Harry and Ron. Yeah. Um, my actually, like my, my favorite, like my, my only positive thing about Snape from the series, like my favorite Snape moment is in the second book, where the chambers, you know, a student's been petrified and they're trying to figure out what they're going to do about the chamber of secrets and Lockhart comes in and Snape was like, yo, it's him. you're, you're the one we want to see. Like you can go down there and, and fight Slytherin's monster. Like it's your time to shine. Like he puts him on the spot and Lockhart's like, Oh shit. I'm like, yeah. Okay, cool. And then he like tries to bounce. But like, I actually, I actually like love that moment from Snape. That's a great moment to me. That's a really good. That's like the best Snape moment. Yeah. Like when he's kind of bullying someone. Yeah. Because he know, I feel like a lot of those other people like had to know that Lockhart was like full of shit. Yeah, that's kind of a theme. Like, there's a theme with the other teachers when they don't like a teacher, they're pretty open about it. Like, they don't really hide it well when they they disagree with or don't like another teacher. Yeah, like there isn't um, really like a click, but they definitely are like, mm. yeah. I it, I think it's notable that <laughs> for both of us. One of the defense against the dark arts teachers was literally Voldemort. And that character is not the worst for us. It's Umbridge. <laughs> Umbridge is the worst. Is not even the worst bad guy in the Harry Potter series. Right. But Dolores Umbridge is the actual worst. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like that's yeah, it's hilarious. That's another one. That's another teacher who like the other teachers clearly like have contempt for and dislike. Like they yeah. don't hide their disdain for for Dolores Umbridge. But then she kind of like claps back at that. Like she's like the root, like she does not care. She's like, listen, the Ministry of Magic does not care about what you think. They care yeah. about what I think. Like she abuses power appropriately. Mm-hmm. Voldemort, he abuses power to like gain power. Umbridge is like, nope, we're going to get things done the way I want them done. Like she could have lived forever if she wasn't like super prejudiced. What an incredible villain to introduce in the fifth book. Yes. Who becomes like such an iconic villain. Like yes. separate from separate from Voldemort, the big bad. Like you got Umbris, who I you know, again we see in the seventh book, who's become, you know, a part of Voldemort's regime, but like someone who is like hated to the to the lengths that Voldemort is just for a different reason. Like in her the hate for Umbridge is separate from the hate from Voldemort. Like yeah. people like despise Umbridge for good for good reason because he's beyond the worst. She's horrible. She's so bad, and like I I like that she was introduced like much later in the series because it'd be hard to like even understand why she's being like this like any earlier. 
Mm-hmm. But it, it it's a skill to introduce a villain that is more hated than the actual villain of a series. Like, I enjoy I think, that. I think one of the reasons, too, is like not only is the animosity he has towards the students, but also, like we said, the teachers, like her and McGonagall going at it. Yeah. Um, she sits in on um, she sits in on Snape's class and Snape and her go at it. Um, she sits in on Hagrid's class. And, you know, admittedly, I would hate going to Hagrid's class. I would, that would be like my least favorite subject. <laughs> but, you know, she makes it personal with Hagrid. Like it's deeper than just his, you know, his teaching methods, whatever. If you want to knock that, uh, I, you know, understandable. But then she's like acting like he's since he's half giant, like he's like less than human. So taking it like to that personal extreme with him, like she sucks. She's a shitty person. I like when the centaurs like take her off, like run off with her. I'm like, man, this could be the end of what it's not the end of us seeing her. Like as the reader, you're like, Oh, she's back. But like also for a story, it's really great. Yeah. Um, And uh, yeah, great, great part of the story, but man, is she awful. Yeah, really well written to 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 have a character that creates that much hate. Like, it's just, she's a really well written villain. Yeah, So and Quirrell, I don't, I mean, he's literally Voldemort, but like. Mm. He's the lackey. Yeah, he like, he's weak. He yeah. is like, a teacher is weak. He is like a character, like. He's not a weakly written character, but like he is a weak person. Like, yeah, he just he's like, oh yeah, Voldemort, live on the back of my head. Cool, this works. It's the first quarrel is the first misdirect in the series too. He's the first, you know, the reveal at the end where it's like it's quarrel. It's like what? How is it? Like that's not what you're expecting. So yeah, that's that's very true. Like so, I saw. I think I saw Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone before reading it. Mm-hmm. And my mom had read it and she was like, you're not going to guess the ending. And I'm like, well, <laughs> good thing I'm going to watch it. Right. <laughs> it's like someone has a bootleg copy and you wouldn't let me go to the <laughs> movies. So I'm watching this movie. And then I was like, oh man, this is so cool. And that's why I started reading the books. But um, yeah, the quarrel, it's so fun that she writes it like that. But definitely um, it would have been cool if he had been like a stronger personality yeah for sure and it's kind of he kind of hints at the end that he was like bumbling on purpose and didn't want people to suspect suspect him but i think that he like takes it to an extreme where you could just yeah. like just be like a regular teacher like if you were just a regular person that would have i almost feel like when you put on the act like it makes it even more suspicious than if you just been like a regular like straightforward dude so yeah well another great mailbag yeah so Great fun. questions. This is it for us for Harry Potter. How do you? How does that feel? This is crazy. This is it. It's been um, a great journey. It's been a really fun journey, and man, and I keep talking to different people who are like, "I'm reading Harry Potter during quarantine," and I'm just like, "I love this for everyone." Yeah. It's just it's so good that so many people are like into it just for like yeah. that community piece. I know right now as people are not really feeling community in their typical way. Um, it's definitely cool that it connects so many people and it's been so fun talking about this and digging into this and like the questions that listeners had submitted, like this has been super dope. It's How are you incredible. feeling? 
it's, it's been incredible. This is, um, it's been special. I'm very glad that we're, that we've done this. And, um, this isn't the end for us. It's the end of, it's the end of the Harry Potter section of this podcast, but, um, we're going to keep going and, um, I'm excited about it. And, you know, if we ever, when we do other mailbags, I'm sure, I'm sure we will. Um, if people have more Harry Potter questions, we'll answer them again, even if we're not talking about Harry Potter, just cause we're, we're just so into it. So, um, do, do you want to say what our next um, topic is going to be for next yes. week? Yes. So our next like pop culture topic that we're going to dig into is, uh, the Dark Knight trilogy. Very loved three movies, um, I feel like recently on Twitter, everyone's like, you know what movie's great? The Dark Knight. And I'm like, eh? I mean, yes, but all right. So we're going to talk about it. We're going to dive into it and prepare your questions that you'll probably want to submit. For sure. It's going to be great. We're going to talk about the three movies. Mm-hmm. Um, we might get into some other Batman related material. We're not sure yet, but like our primary focus is going to be Christopher Nolan's Dark Knight trilogy. We're very excited about that. And we're going to start off next week with uh, a deep dive into Batman Begins. So it's going to be fun. Be on the, yeah, be on, the lookout, be on the lookout for that. Very, very excited about it. Yeah. So thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. See you guys. Thank you.